This week's guest is Emmy Award-winning video content creator, media trainer, visual storyteller, and former news anchor in New York City. Welcome to CASA, Kerry Barrett. Welcome to Casa de Confidence, a podcast for women and some cool dudes going in the direction of their dreams and the confidence it takes to reach them. I'm your host, Julie DeLuca Collins. And your sidekick, handsome hot husband, that again. I am a dreamer, a traveler, a missionary, and risk taker. I'm a lover of books, activist, philanthropist, and most of all, we are supporter of people and their dreams. If you stumble into the casa for the first time, welcome. If you've been here before, we're so glad you're back. Grab your drink of choice. Settle in and make yourself at home. Hey, Julie. Good morning, Dan. Happy Sunday. Gosh, I am so grateful to be drinking Mm. the coffee that you made me today. You're welcome. It's a little bitter for me, but that's just me. I love it. I haven't found the coffee that I enjoy. the bitter in life. You would never notice the sweet. But I'm trying to not have a lot of sweets. Hey, I'm just telling a life story. Yes, it's it's lovely. I'm I'm going with the bitter and the sweet. You know how you teach your clients without the struggles, the victories Mm -hmm. would have no impact? You know, in... In my when I was nineteen, or something along those lines, I don't know. I received I'm, a I'm very. I, I got. <laughs> I got a very big lesson when I was nineteen, mm. from the song "Every Rose Has a Thorn." Don't sing. Every rose <laughs> has its thorns. Listen, roses are beautiful, and in order to really appreciate them, you gotta. I'll be okay with getting pricked with the thorns every once in a while, and that's like life. Well, you know what? You know what thorns I don't like? What? On that tree in our in our yard, because every time I mow the lawn, those You're thorns killing my tree. rip my arms. You're killing my tree. Dan has it out for <laughs> oh, my tree. There's nothing good about that tree. That's not true. It's good <laughs> because it's in commemorance of, commemorance of my dad passing. I know, but we need to pick a different tree you're not taking the tree down until you have a tree first of all unfortunately the tree is has gotten sick so and i've never been happier for something to be sick before than that tree really first of all i'm gonna tell you something you need to dig a hole for my roses Mm. speaking of roses and i'll put that tree in it (laughs) in what the whole because I'm gonna bury that. <laughs> My God, you're unbelievable. Anyway, anyway, tell the, the, you know, t- t- tell everybody how long are the thorns on that tree? I don't know, like long They're, enough for a bird to impale themselves. A on bird it. actually impaled itself <laughs> and died in this tree. That's so morbid for a the, Sunday morning. The bird comes down and says, "Oh, it is a nice place to sit." Yeah. <laughs> done <laughs> so every time i pull the lawn i feel like i may i may die oh my god like that bird no who don't. didn't deserve the fate that he got okay please you're being very morbid for a sunday i don't morning. know did we talk about it on the podcast because i it there were other birds we we didn't know what was happening we saw other birds gathering and wailing Oh, as we did if, not as see if birds it, wailing. They were they were all chirping. They were in a oh, fervor as if they were mourning that's true. their friend. It was like, why are all these birds It felt chirping? like an Alfred What's going Hitchcock. On? It felt like an... <laughs> oh, wow. It felt like an Alfred Hitchcock movie. Hmm. Well, it wasn't. It was just a random thing. Mm-hmm. Um, by anyway. the way... Yes... <laughs> I'm looking at you, and um, uh-huh. it is a beautiful day outside for a Sunday morning. 
Congratulations. It is, it is a wonderful day today. Dan is going to be going out and golfing. I know this may come as a shock to the listeners. Uh, yes. Comes as I, have a shock a, to me. I have a tournament today. He has a, a, a golf outing tournament yes. a fundraiser for Tri-Town, Tri-Town Hockey. In Summers, Connecticut. That's right. They're trying to raise funds for the hockey. <laughs> Our friend's son plays. We've been watching him play since he was five years old. Holy canass, I feel old. And now he's going to be a senior, correct? Yeah. Yeah. When he got his driver's license, did I I say this on the podcast? I don't know if I should be saying this on the podcast. I don't know. We were in Key West, and he went to get his driver's license. And I texted him, and I said, congratulations on passing. And he said, thanks. Because, you know, teenagers, oh, man of many words. And then he replied, and then I said, by the way, I expect you to be a designated driver when I need one. Hmm. And he replied, LOL. So I take that as a yes. That's all a new driver <laughs> needs is to have drunken 50-year-olds in the car driving oh them around. Oh, my God. It's not like we drink a lot when we go out. But, you know, it's nice to have an option other than Uber. Cause I don't know if I'm comfortable <laughs> with an Uber right now. Wait a minute. I can see him going, order an Uber. Yeah, he would say that. <laughs> I don't know. Unbelievable. I was going through. Okay. Why was I going through? Oh, yeah, that's why. Okay. I told a story to our guest today um, about uh, something that happened to me in junior high. So I um, pulled out my junior high, not middle school, my junior high. um, What is this thing called? It's called a yearbook. A yearbook. Thank you. (laughs) My yearbook. Okay. <laughs> oh my God, why are you laughing? Because it's Sunday and neither of us can find our words. We, and just... we, we went to bed early. We've had a long, I've had a long week. I don't know about you. I know. I'm making noise and he's going to give me a look. But I was looking at this little yearbook and it's so cute. Um, you know, some of these faces are adorable. But it's I, like. I love how all like junior high yearbooks are, are black and white. They're never yeah. color. It's what? like it's like the practice yearbook for, the practice for when you get yearbook. to high school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So anyhow, I I was looking at some of these people and I'm wondering where they are. But some of them, the way that the yearbook is laid out is they only put people's last names and not first names. So there are, there are two friends that I first met in sixth grade mm-hmm. and I love them. They were so sweet. I know them in sixth grade, seventh grade, eighth grade, and then I moved so I didn't go to the same ninth grade with them, but their name is Amelia and, and no, Andrea and Amelia Alvarez. Hmm. So if you know the twins, Andrea and Amelia Alvarez, I would love to connect. But, you know, I don't know if I can, maybe I can find them on Facebook. I found my brother on Facebook. Oh. So I don't know. They were so sweet and kind and they were always nice to spend time with and i like them a lot you know you also uh showed me the picture of the picture of uh someone who bullied you in in that time frame i know we won't name her of course oh, <coughs> wait a minute you named her you named her in the podcast when yeah you're well you, then us. you're gonna have to listen anyway, to the entire podcast the thing, to hear. the thing is about bullies this is the thing and i'm i'm gonna i'm gonna leave space here Okay, go ahead. That uh, a lot of people, everyone is in their own journey. Mm-hmm. And I had m- many bullies. I mean, I had the, I was always the tallest or the second tallest in my class. So you had those kids that wanted to, you know, prove his worth against the big guy. Mm-hmm. Plus I was quiet. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't have a lot of social game going on in my life. <laughs> And uh, you didn't have me in your life for social I was game. A li- I was a little weird at times, a little oh. odd at times, awkward. Oh, I'm sorry, baby. And so I got picked up from time to time. And I had people who who were I never called them bullies. Hmm. You know, I never labeled that. But and then I've met some of these people now, mm-hmm. and it's like we're buddies. I know. They think that you're your best friends. What the heck is that? And the thing is, at that time, sometimes people are bullying you and it's 
because they're lashing out. It's a thing that kids do. Mm. And as you grow and you realize, oh, that's that's not how you act as an adult. Well, most people get to that stage. Most people. (laughs) Some people don't ever get there. But I think you... um, a lot of times when you think back to the people that bullied you, sometimes you need to give them a little grace because you don't know what was going on in their home. No, absolutely. And I think back, you know, I certainly don't know what was going on in this young girl's life. And I look back and I have nothing but compassion for her now because, and and I look back at myself and I don't want to feel sorry for myself, but I thought, you know, she was the first Okay, I'm going to tell you one further story about her. Okay. So when I came from El Salvador, moved to Miami, I had finished sixth grade. But I was a very young sixth grader. I was yet to turn 11. And my mom didn't think that I should go to junior high because it was a separate building. And she was afraid that I was too naive and too young to go because I lived a very sheltered life in El Salvador. So she put me back in sixth grade, which I really resented for a long time. But actually, that was a perfect decision. Um, and I think that she did the right thing. Well, also, I think she did the right thing because right you're thing. still naive. Oh, and imagine how gosh. more naive you would be <laughs> if she hadn't done it. You're terrible. <laughs> Anyhow, but we were, we were going to be in the same building with my sisters, and she just felt it would be easier. Fine. So when I walked into Mr. Sands, sixth grade class at uh, at uh, silver bluff elementary um you know i i i spoke english but i it was a shock honestly because first of all i've been going to school wearing a uniform my whole life and here we are like you could wear whatever you want and you know there was diversity and anyhow so mr sands who was African-American and spoke Spanish, by the way, who, by the way, became the principal of that school. Love that teacher. He um, asked Susie, I'm going to name the first name only, um, Susie, to kind of take me under her wing and introduce me. And Susie was so kind and pretty and, and blonde hair. You know, you can imagine the whole thing, right? And like I was so excited because I had a friend and within a week I heard her talking to people about me and telling them that you know oh did you see what she was wearing she was wearing a jumpsuit who wears that color blah 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 and we happened to have had a dance party that week my first week at school because I didn't start school at the beginning of the school year. I came through in the middle of the school year. And when I came, we had a dance party. And one of the boys who I happened to have a crush on, his name is Marcelo, he started dancing. And he was very outgoing. He said, come on, Julie, let's dance, let's dance. So she, he called me over Uh-oh, to we're dance. about to have a carry moment? No, we're not having a carry moment. Okay. So we're dancing, you know, whatever. And, and I got to dance with him and everybody, you know, was it was a fun little time. And I remember, like, I guess she might have been jealous because... She she kept I heard her talking about me. Right. Because she didn't know that I understood English. And did you see her dancing? Like what kind of moves are those? Blah, blah. She was wearing this. And, and you know, this is the thing about life. Right. And, and it's so amazing how I wish that it's sixth grade. I could have really like been able to know how to manage my mind, how to be able to know that other people's opinions of me don't matter because the reality is that I I used to love dancing I used to dance I used to that was one of my favorite things I would spend hours I would take dance classes but I became more reserved when it came to dancing for a long time and you know in my sixth seventh eighth into maybe high school because I was afraid and ashamed of of that moment and I made it mean that you know whatever fill in the blank Um, And I think that this still happens to us in life, that we end up having moments in our life in which we are defined by the moments in which, you know, maybe we are criticized or other people's opinions end up counting more than they should. And the reality is that when we have these moments, one of the things that we need to learn is that we need to ask ourselves, is it true? Is it real? And really question the belief really believe to 
believe that we um, can overcome some of the challenges and fears that we have, but also that we don't have to accept the coins that people give us, the coins of their opinions. Hmm. Um, in you know, in in this episode, not only do I tell um, Carrie a story that happened another a year later with with this same girl, mm-hmm. um, but um, I, I it really got me thinking because this is a story actually that I share in my book. Yes, and, you do. And um, I've been doing a lot of thinking about that and really processing a lot of these feelings and, and thoughts because even though seventh grade, how many years ago was that? Um, there are little things that are kind of stored away in the filing cabinet in our brain. I was trying to do the math on how long seventh grade was, but... What? That's too much the, math for the you. The number got too big for me. <laughs> well, let's see. It's been no, no, you don't over have to. 30 you're, years. It's been over 30 good. years. I'm going to tell you. That's all we're going to leave it at that. How's Seventh that? Seventh grade must have been 1982 for you. Uh, oh, shoot. I just made the math. <laughs> Holy fuck. <laughs> 1982. You know, you know what the height was in its height? Seventh grade was 1983, dude. Come on. BMX racing was all the rage in 1982. I never knew of BMX racing until, like, high school. You must be getting your your things wrong. Until high school? I didn't know anybody who went BMX bikes. Of course not. By the way, I went to Shenandoah Junior High. Very cool. The House of the Chiefs. The Chiefs? I did have some amazing teachers at Shenandoah. And I really am so grateful for that experience because one of the teachers, actually, and for those teachers out there, shout out to you. But one of the teachers that I had, Mrs. Elmore, I think I've talked about her before. She, every morning, she was a science teacher, but every morning she would start the class by reading that day's column of Ann Landers. And she got me to start reading. <laughs> what are you laughing about? I started reading Ann Landers because. That's what's her name? The Ann Landers is. It's Abby, dear, dear Abby? Abby's sister. Oh, dear Abby's sister. Yeah. Got it, got it, got it. So I, I started, and I didn't like Dear Abby as much as I, Ann Landers. And mm. I actually, upstairs in my jewelry box, my my first jewelry box that I was given, I think I was in. I, I was in, element, in elementary school in El Salvador still, maybe fifth grade. Um, I actually have a, um, a column um, from the, that Mrs. Elmore, she passed them out. Oh, she made a copy of the column and she passed them out and she made us highlight the thing. And the column is about the man in the mirror. Okay, let me look it up. Uh, wait, oh, it's not the man in the mirror. It's called the man in the looking glass. Okay, I guess my memory is not as good. The, but the man, so I'm going to... I'm going to... I just read it. You just... Man in the glass. It's it's funny when you read stuff to me. Yes. You add content and subtract content. Oh, my God. That's not true. Just, I looked at your screen, and it says the man in the glass. And you told me the man in the looking glass. Okay, Listen. Let me read. I don't I don't trust Dear you. Dear Ann Landers. <laughs> I'm reading this. Dear Ann Landers. I was impressed with a poem I read in your column many years ago. The message of being true to oneself is one we need to hear again and again. That poem made a big difference in my life. It was called The Man in the Glass. Please print it again for those who missed it. This time I'll cut it out and put it in my wallet. E.F in Topeka, Kansas. Dear EF, the poem that made a big difference in your life was written by a man who died at age 24. Oh, I don't remember this. Here is the letter. Dear Ann Landers, my dear brother died a few months ago. He was only 24 years and struggling with a drug habit. He finally decided he needed treatment, but it was too late. His body was shot. He wrote this poem when he was drug free. Sister of a great guy, Louisiana. Dear sister, The poem is very moving. Your brother was talented and insightful young man. 
humble and honest. Here's his poem, The Man in the Glass. When you get what you want and you struggle with self and the world makes you king for a day, just go to the mirror and look at yourself and see what that man has to say. For it isn't your father, your mother, or wife whose judgment upon you you must pass. The fellow whose verdict counts most in your life is the one staring back from the glass. Some people may think you're straight shooting chum and call you a wonderful guy, but the man in the glass says you're only a bum if you can't look him straight in the eye. He's the fellow to please, never mind all the rest, for he's what you're clear up to the end. And you're past your most dangerous, difficult test if the guy in the glass is your friend. You may fool the whole world down the path of years and get pat on the back as your pass. But your final reward with the heartaches and tears if you've cheated the man in the glass. Wow. You know what? Amazing. As I was reading it, I realized that um, she actually made us memorize that. And there's some lines in there that mm. came back very easily to mm. me. So, I like it. I don't think I've ever heard that. And I think I should. It have. is. And, and I think that, There's you know, reason. here's I the like impact it. that we have in somebody's life. Um, multiple impacts, right? The The young man that died. And now, mind you, he. so this poem is from 1998 is this article right this that it was reprinted but i got it in 1982 83 83 yeah and ultimately i don't i don't know when it was originally yeah so i'm I'm gonna have to go look at my article at the little piece of paper it is a timeless message it is a timeless (laughs) message and i think that um, you know, Mrs. Elmore has made an impact in my life. Mm. This woman by sharing the poem and and again, I think that we all can leave a lasting legacy no matter what we're doing. We live now in an era in which everything that we can um create can have a lasting impact. Mm. Um and this is why I love um Carrie in in our conversation because she was in the news for a very long time. But she realized that there is so much power in communication, and especially now for individuals, whether they're in um, a business sector or in the, in the entrepreneur sector, how we conduct ourselves and communicate effectively can have a listen, lasting impact for others. Yeah. So our guest today is Carrie Barrett, and uh, she she worked for years in, as, a, as a news anchor in mm-hmm. the New York City area. Yeah. That's right. And then she left that world. And she, she is, uh, she's helping others really hone in their skills. And she's coming from a great perspective because prior to being an anchor and going into news, she was actually afraid of public speaking. And she overcame that. And she realizes that there might be a lot of people out there who have an important message, yet they might have some difficulty and challenges in bringing their message. And Carrie actually says it in the interview. If she thinks back to the people in her life where she grew up in New Jersey, at least one person said, uh, you'd be the last person out of all of us that I would think would become a news anchor in New York City. Mm. If you if you listen to her and see her in a video, you, you would never believe that person ever existed. And that's the thing. For me, I'm doing this podcast with Julie because she encouraged me to be part of it. And I would never think I'd be speaking like this um, on a podcast. Mm. And and that's that's the thing. There's so many amazing things that we limit ourselves to. Mm. And there's so many resources out there, like Carrie, like Julie, that can that can help us lead us to things that we think that, well, maybe I could do that. But you don't have enough confidence to, to actually get to, you don't have confidence in it because you haven't actually done it. Um, there's so many people that, that can help and help you do something that maybe you thought you never could have done before. 
That's correct. Yeah. So anyway, take advantage of those people. Absolutely. It's, and remember that if you can think of it and look to work at it and remember consistency, consistent action gets you traction. Mm. Go and be it. And don't lie to yourself. Don't lie to yourself telling yourself you can't do something because you can do a lot more than you think you can. Right. Just work at it and remember anything that is a goal for yourself can be achieved as long as you create a plan and create the daily action. I think it's time. It's time. It is time. Without further ado. Carrie Barrett. Thank you so much for coming to Casa the Confidence. I, I am so excited to be here. I love the name Casa de Confidence. Sign me up, baby. There you go. And you know, so <laughs> I tell people why Casa de Confidence. When my husband and I got married, our I'm DeLuca, he's Collins, and we have always said that this is Casa de Collins. Okay. And when he, when I was turning uh, uh, 50 last year during the pandemic, and I was See, I, I realized that I was going to have to cancel my 50th birthday party that I was throwing myself. My husband thought, oh, no, the extrovert is canceling her birthday party and we're in a pandemic. Yeah. So I need to do something to distract her. And he promptly ordered podcasting equipment. And, that's so sweet. And that's what how this came about. You have? Yeah, and this is how it came about, right? He's like, you're starting it. a podcast. And I was like what i don't so know is that something you always wanted to do i always had you, talked about just, it and yeah. i was gonna do it with my company and we never got to it and yeah but it, i never knew like what it was going to be about and yeah. th as we were trying to figure out what to call it and what to, what it would be like i i thought how about casa de collins and he's like don't be ridiculous and i'm like wait casa de confidence because i love it <laughs> Go confidently is my is is my quote. That's my business now, mm -hmm. um, and that's one of the things that happened throughout my life. As I was climbing the corporate ladder, a lot of women would say, "Oh my God, I wish I could do what you're doing. I'm yeah. not never that confident, or I wish I could travel like you do, or whatever." Right, fill in the blank, and I just thought you can, and I don't always have it together. Yeah. Oh, I never have it together. <laughs> <laughs> yeah so it's it, like i always say if you look closely you'll see the cracks and they're puttied together with like silly string and chewing gum oh as I, sort of standard but you know that's <laughs> that and that's the reason of the podcast because i think that we need to normalize that what we see on the outside of somebody else's world it's not really what's going on in the inside and yeah. I want to bring stories of amazing women doing amazing things and how they can go on and be inspired by others. So tell us about you, Carrie Barrett, and who are you? Gosh, I'm still figuring that out. I'm not <laughs> sure exactly what I want to be when I grow up, but I, I'm taking incremental steps daily. Uh, I left the news business. I had been in broadcast news, TV, specifically as an anchor reporter, a couple years as a producer when I first started. Well, when you first start, you're doing everything. So, um, And I finished my career at NBC in New York City, and I had no idea what I wanted to do next. And I really, truly stumbled into launching a business with zero and when I tell you zero, I truly mean less than zero knowledge about running a business. Well, well into things before I a knew what a PL was and b <laughs> that I should have one. Uh, I, the lingo, the language, the, none of it made any sense to me, yeah. and I, it often still doesn't. Um, but I'm, I'm I'm muddling through, and I like the challenge of learning. I am working hard on strategy. But what I do basically is I take all that experience that I had as you know in the news world, mm -hmm. as a visual storyteller, as an on camera presenter, if you will, and I help my clients expand their visibility and their credibility in both the traditional media and in the digital and online world through the use of com uh, compelling and effective video. And it's not just about the on-camera mm -hmm. stuff. It's, it's public speaking as well. But the truth is 
I have always been terrified of public speaking, like truly, truly not a normal fear, but, and I think we've talked about this before, <laughs> back of the room in the fetal position, yep. puddle of my own vomit sort of fear, like a, like a debilitating fear of it. And as I stumbled into broadcast journalism and realized I liked storytelling and I especially like doing it through video, I had to figure out how in the heck I was going to overcome that debilitating fear. And you know, I think my career, both in the news world and now as a business owner, has been one that has been built on taking risks, mm-hmm. not crazy risks, but but calculated strategic risk and, and some, some risk that's jumping out of the airplane and figuring out how to open the parachute on the way down. But right. those are... Um, those are very well calibrated, <laughs> if you will, <laughs> before I actually open the door and jump out and not know where the shoot pull is. I think that this is something that a lot of women are so afraid, right? I think that when they launch a business or begin something, many women and many, well, individuals at large, right? Our yeah. brain is always trying to keep us safe and mm-hmm most people won't go after maybe a dream because there is a fear associated with it. How did you kind of make that first step into going into this career for yourself? Well, let me, let me just back up what you're saying very quickly. I did a a recently a speaking engagement for a group of really powerful women executives, big names in, in corporations you have heard of. And it was called own the room and and own the zoom because no matter where we are in our career success, whatever, we all still have these fears. And it's not that we ever an imposter syndrome in the whole nine yards. And it's, and I, I have it too. And it's never that we fully, I don't think anyway. And if you know, otherwise, please reach out because I'd love to know your secret. (laughs) It's never that we fully get over it where we're just brimming with confidence and it never falters 100% of the time. That's just not how it is. But it is learning how to push through and how to start to acclimate yourself with that uncomfortable feeling of being afraid. It's never that it goes away. It's that mm-hmm. you do the things and then you clear the fears. It never is clearing the fears and then doing the things. That's just not how it works. And anyway, to get back to my point, I was doing some research for this group that I was talking to. And, you know, I, I we were all probably pretty familiar with the research that women are more likely to get interrupted mm-hmm. than men are when there's when then this is not to paint like two sides against one another. It's just the reality. If we all work together, we can right. we can all uh, raise right. and up level our abilities and our performance. But what I found fascinating was that the National Institutes of Science did a study in 2016, and they found that the surest predictor of the death toll of a hurricane was not whether it was a Cat One or a you know a Cat Five, but it was whether the hurricane had a female gendered name or a male gendered name. So for example, Hurricane Dan versus Hurricane Danielle. And Mm. the female gendered hurricanes generally had, in fact, on the vast majority, had more deaths than the male gendered hurricanes. And Mm. the reason was that a female gendered name hurricane, people were less likely to heed the evacuation warnings. They didn't take it as seriously. I'm not surprised by any of this, but it's fascinating. And I was like, what? Are you kidding me? And so there are some Mm. things that still in this day and age are stacked against us, especially as women. It's changing for sure. And it's probably changed even since that study came out four or five years ago. But we have to go into it knowing that we have to be on our game at all Mm. times. And that's actually a good lesson that benefits us in the long run. How did I overcome those challenges? Well, sure. I was scared as heck speaking up in in the room or pitching stories or certainly going on air. I hated talking to one person, let alone, you know, potentially millions. Right. And, and, And all of the mistakes are out there for everyone to see. But here's what I found. I found that by taking small incremental bites 
each day. And mm. that meant I took a public speaking course in college, two of them actually terrified, but I had to do it. Right. I, when I interned at a TV station, I would stand up in front of the camera and I would, I would do what's called a stand up, you know, the mm -hmm. 30 second, like, and it wasn't for air. It was just to practice getting acclimated to speaking and she was front camera of the camera and in yeah. front of people. And it was those small bites speaking up at a, a meeting or a group or whatever it was, whether <laughs> it was church or whether it was like, you know, um, at the grocery store, making conversation with a stranger in line, <laughs> all of those things were challenging for me. And I realized that it was nothing was ever going to be perfect. I was never going to have a perfect show. I was never, but where the change happened for me, where I started to grow my confidence and things <laughs> started to turn around was when I realized through this incremental practice that no matter what came my way, I could handle it. So it wasn't good. going to kill me. I was going to come out on the other side standing <laughs> and it might not always be pretty. And I'll tell you what, if you Google like Carrie Barrett bloopers on YouTube, you'll find a bunch of them. <laughs> Please don't do it. <laughs> but the point is never got me fired, never affected my paycheck. Mm -hmm. It never did anything other than teach me. Right that I could survive. And that's mm. when everything started to change for me. When I realized it was okay to make those most mistakes and I sure I don't want to make them, but I could handle them. So whether <laughs> it was a reporter, Mike went out or we went to black or there was, you know, a breaking news situation that we had no information about. And I had to just right. ramble on for 15 minutes until we got a reporter out at the scene all those things, I could handle them. And then it started to be like, oh, this is fun. Let's right. see what, what's going to be thrown at me today. I hope it's not a boring show. I hope there's breaking news and right. I get to put all of these things into practice. And that's where it all changed. You, you, I don't even know where to start unpacking everything because I think that everything <laughs> that you talked about in that short little clip is everything that I really continue to share with my clients because mm -hmm. the right question gives you the right answer. It's not, I can't, but it's mostly, how can I? And you put your brain to work and started to figure out that, first of all, there's no such thing as perfection. And second of all, the incremental steps. I am taking a new certification program because I think I'm always going to be the lifelong student, but I'm mm -hmm. fascinated, fascinated by habits. And I yeah. know that for me, they have been very instrumental in my life. And I decided, I've read lots of books on habits, but I'm fascinated by the Behavioral Science Institute at a Stanford University. Mm -hmm. uh, B.J. Fogg, who is the director of the Institute, um, has a coaching certification on tiny habits. And I thought, what better way to be able to support my clients meant to do that? And those tiny incremental steps are the ones that are most successful in behavior change yes. and long-term traction. So I love and that. You do. You have to force yourself mm -hmm. to make them. Like I remember it started with me when I was in college and I would, I always sat in the back of the row, you know, back of the class. I didn't want, I didn't even want to cough. Let, you know, heaven forbid somebody should turn and see who it was that made the offending noise and then look at me. But I would force myself as, mm -hmm. as horrible as it felt, I would force myself to raise my hand and add to the conversation. And that served me when I got actually my first job because I can't go to my boss and say, you know what? I'm really not feeling it today. I'm right. not going to do a story and I'm not going mm -hmm. to be on the air because that was my job. I didn't have a choice. And so my job forced me to take, you know, in the beginning I was, it was a two minute story or a one minute story, but I had to do it. And otherwise that I wasn't going to get paid. And, um, and that, that mm -hmm. the fact that I had something that I was required to do every single day mm -hmm. was really where it started to change. It wasn't about doing it once a week in class or every now right. and then it was like dedicating, you know, it was three minutes on air, but I had mm -hmm. to do it. It was dedicating that time to making it happen. And that's where everything changed. I think people assume that it has to be this huge yeah. endeavor where you like 
jump fully in with both mm-hmm. feet and and that's scary as hell excuse my language no, but it's true. you really just have to dip your toe in every day and mm-hmm. incrementally dip it in a little bit farther because you begin to acclimate to the the uncomfortable feeling and mm-hmm. you begin to acclimate to what's thrown at you and those yeah. are the tiny little steps where you realize you can you actually can handle it. Look at that. Absolutely. You know, you, the discomfort is, is a theme that it's really prevalent for everything that's been happening around me this week. I was asked in a clubhouse room, what is one quote that someone shared with me that has stuck and has made impact? And I, of course, I was going to say something that my dad has said, and I kept, and then all of a sudden it came out, you know, the discomfort is the currency for our dreams. Mm-hmm. And at times when we want to accomplish something, we have to take the step. And like you said, dip your toe in the water and see what happens and then begin to feel at ease with that. Because if you're looking to accomplish something, and in your in your case, you were looking to build a career um, and move forward and move ahead, who inspired you in your life? And did you have role models that led you to, you know, step out of your comfort zone? Boy, that's a good question. Um, You know, it's interesting because when I first, not when I first, I mean, it's, uh, I I, I went to high school in New Jersey. And so people watched me, people I went to high school with watched me on the air up here (laughs) when I was in New York. And I had so many messages from people who would say things like, my gosh, you're like the last person I would have ever expected to have this career. Like I, if, wow. if I was a betting person, I would have lost everything <laughs> betting on you <laughs> having an on-air career. And I think in terms of who inspired me, boy, the list is pretty extensive. I will say my true inspiration, I think, it's going to sound, I hope this doesn't sound self-involved or absorbed, but I've always challenged myself mm. to try and be better. I really didn't have anybody when I launched. I mean, my father was like, you shouldn't go into journalism. It's impossible. Like the TV news world is so cutthroat. You're never going to make it. You're never going to make any money. Even if you do make it, you're going to be stuck in like a teeny tiny market. And, you know, right. Any, and I... I think a lot of my inspiration came just in and drive came mm. internally. First of all, please don't tell me I can't do something. Right. Number one. And number two, I always have striven sometimes to a fault to do better and be better. And mm. sometimes that leads to discontent. <laughs> You're never happy yeah. with where you are. Once I started on that path though, mm-hmm. There were a few people that were absolutely instrumental and inspirational. One of them being my former co-anchor uh, at in Philadelphia, where <laughs> I, I worked at the Fox station there. And I had actually two co-workers who were incredibly inspirational. One of mm-hmm. them, Chanel Jones, who is still to this day a good friend. She's now an anchor at the Today Show. And Mike Jarek, who is my mm-hmm. co-anchor down in Philadelphia. And... He taught me that the boundaries are meant to be broken within reason. Mm. I'm still on air. I don't want to incur an FCC fine. But nevertheless, there are elements of yourself that Mm -hmm. you can bring to every single interaction that you have. And it's okay to share that. And, And a huge portion of my growth came from working with him. And one of the, one of the things that made this so instrumental, and I think this is, this is applicable to everyone. When I first started anchoring with him, I had come from a smaller station in Salt Lake city, Utah. Mm -hmm. And I sat down next to Mike Jarek. And if you know him and there are people probably listening who do, because he anchored um, at the Fox news channel for a while, he had a syndicated show. He, he, he's still up in this area in the New York city area quite a bit. Anyway, my point is 
he really drives people hard. And I always, I, I, I would walk off the show in, in the beginning of my tenure there and say, like, why can't, you know, I go home in tears. Why can't he dial it down? Why can't he give me a break? Why can't he let me mm. ease into the show and like figure out where I am? Which is what I did, but his genius in not allowing me or cutting mm. me any slack, I mean, he was never going to dial down his performance in order to make me more comfortable. Yeah. And at the time, I hated it. But in retrospect, it was so incredibly helpful. Right. And I think it applies, especially to women. We oftentimes make ourselves small or we dial mm-hmm. down our shine because we're worried about how it might affect somebody else. And in the long run, shining as big and as bright as we can, if that's what we want to do, helps everybody around us. I think that, you know, that word shine, it actually came up for me when I realized that, um, especially in, in my, my, this marriage, which is my second marriage, I, I knew that I, I have big dreams and I have big uh, expectations of myself and I couldn't dial him down. Of course, my dog is barking at me. <laughs> Here. Jackass. I love it. But, um, and I think that many women, and I, I came from a family of strong women and I came from a family that was always told you're a leader, not a follower, but many women do, uh, you know, run away from shining because they feel that it's not their role. They feel that they will um, be looked at in a negative way. Right. Like, oh, you're trying to be too much. You're being too big. Look at you. You're getting a little big for your britches. Like, I know that sounds a little bit hokey, Mm -hmm. but there's a part of me, even as you know, a successful woman. I'm, I'm in my forties. Like mm-hmm. I've been around the block a few times, but there's a part of me that still, sometimes I feel that I got to push through it and I have to be very aware when it's happening mm-hmm. and not let that fear like dictate my decisions, but it happens to all of us. I think yeah. if you could go back and change something that you did, in your career or even in your personal life that you feel that now you know better and would do better, what would it be? Uh, So uh, there's a few things, but the one thing that strikes me, the one thing that I immediately think of, and it goes well beyond me, well prior, I should say, to me starting a career. It actually happened when I was in grade school. I was in fourth grade Mm -hmm. and I had a bully. And I mean, she Mm. just took an instant disliking to me. And back then we didn't understand bullying or Mm -hmm. even really talk about it. Definitely not in the terms that we talk about it today and the Mm -hmm. lasting impact that it can have. But for years, I mean, well into my thirties, I let that bully, her name Mm. was Jen, I let her sit on my shoulder Mm. and dictate all of my decisions, right? She told me how I should act, how I should feel, what I should do, what I should choose, that I should go for external validation rather than Mm -hmm. internal. Like she sat there. I wasn't aware of it, but she sat there for years and influenced my decisions. And I I wish that I could go back and granted she's she's actually been a big source of my drive and ambition but I wish that I could go back to her and say okay Jen I see you on my shoulder you're not really welcome here anymore right. you can sit there but I'm not going to let you dictate my choices any longer and <laughs> I think I would have made some different decisions or perhaps things wouldn't have been as challenging if I was coming at them from a place of confidence rather than fear. Yeah. I think but that I wish I'd had the foresight to tell her to many of us that. have that. I, 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 I will make an admission. I had a bully in seventh grade and uh, I remember my mom got me this brand new bra, right? Seventh grade mm-hmm. girl. And, you know, I was a little starting to really develop and she, it was, I will never forget. It was a Vidal Sassoon bra. It it went and it hooked in the front, Mm -hmm. but the cups were see-through. It was very sexy for a seventh grader. Little Uh did I know that when you wear a white shirt to gym class, 
Oh dear, you poor thing. I know where this is going. Right. So, but I remember we were playing baseball, softball, and I remember all the girls whispering. And Susie, her name is Susie. She was the the leader of the gang, and she and and for many years, I think that I have been very self conscious when it comes to my breasts because of her. And I'm thinking, like, how much time have I wasted in my life? because of that and i think that that we all have have that and it's important to really begin to acknowledge it and really begin to sort of like like you said speak to that little voice and uh, begin to change the narrative well i think for so many of us and this probably applies across the board and by the way Susie can go straight to hell right her yeah I don't. <laughs> she probably had her own issues though she in all fairness that, and, and that's she was exactly probably it. dealing with some of her own right you know trauma or who knows what was right. going on with her i i 100 agree you know, except for the rare few bullies are usually having mm-hmm. some sort of issue yeah. going on and they're being bullied themselves them, right? in some other on some other level right exactly so. right and so I forget what you asked me. <laughs> I'm losing my mind. It's so good. It's so good. I, I mean, that's All the I thing, know right? Is that I don't like Susie. But but I think that to your point, we have to be able to encounter the yeah. the bully voices in our brain yes. and in our in our heads. And we, when we know better, we we do better. You're working with a lot of individuals, yeah. um, in a medium that a lot of people are intimidated by. How do you help them? come into their own and, and build their confidence? You know, it's, it depends a little bit on what baggage they're bringing to the table and much like public speaking. And I work with people on creating presentations and pitching mm-hmm. and that sort of thing as well, not even on camera, but we all come into that arena, mm-hmm. whatever it is, whether it's on video or in person selling from the stage, speaking engagements, etc. We come in with our own baggage mm-hmm. Whatever reason, whether we had a bully or we had a terrible experience and we completely bombed on stage once or twice or on camera once or twice and or more than that. But really, it only takes one time and that it seeps into our psyche mm-hmm. that we're this is not our lane and we should get out of it. Really, we all know intellectually that speaking up and having a voice and building a brand, either for our own business or within our company, is important, but mm-hmm. it's scary as heck. And so I would say there's a little bit of therapy that goes along with my process yeah. as well. I do have programs that I put people through, mm-hmm. but I do a deep dive before we get started to understand where their fear is Mm. and how we can create strategies and tactics that overcome that. Because one person's fear may be completely unrelated to somebody's somebody else's and the (laughs) things that we need to work on to overcome that and make sure that they're delivering their best presentation are different. The strategies are different. The tactics are different. At the end of the day, the goal is you don't need to use these very granular tactics to get over your fear because mm-hmm. you're accomplished enough and you've done this enough times that while you may have the butterflies, and we all do, you know, you're going to be able to get right. through it. But part of the way that I work with my clients, let's say we're doing video, which is really sort of the bulk of, of my, of my clientele right now, they're looking to create content, get comfortable pitching on mm-hmm. camera, et cetera, et cetera. And I sit with them and I'll, we'll do mock interviews back and forth and we'll record them. And then we'll go through Mm. point by point, you know, let's break this down. What happened in this minute that diminished your credibility or what happened in this minute that belied the fact that you're feeling a little nervous or that you're experiencing a lack of confidence. And we, we go through it and I've, I've asked my clients to focus on, and I really only give them one or two things in each session to work on, right? Mm-hmm. Let's do some homework on these one or two things, and then we'll meet back for the next week. And I advise anybody who is looking to improve their public speaking on camera, operate in the same way, practice yeah record yourself, Mm. watching and listening to yourself is excruciating. 
I get it. Yep. 20 years of an on-camera career, I still hate it. But it is absolutely, hands down, the best way to improve. Agreed. And then pick out one or two elements and focus on those as you practice. Get on camera five minutes a day <laughs> and practice whether it's eye contact or being more energetic or using fewer crutch words. Right. Pick two things and focus on that every day for five or 10 minutes. And then next session, let's rehearse what mm-hmm. we have practiced for the last week. And when you notice change, when you notice you have been able to dial back on the crutch words, oh, or you've so been able to improve your eye contact, looking into the lens, which mm-hmm. is not natural for most people, you start to gain confidence. You're like, oh, look, I can, I actually see change between one session and the next. Okay. I'm ready to tackle the next thing. Whereas if you try and improve everything all at once, it's way too diluted. You will never see the change. So don't overwhelm yourself. Work on one or two things, see the change, grow your confidence, and then move on to the next. You know, even as you're speaking, it's funny because you and I have talked a little bit about uh, my on-camera stuff and you're speaking and I'm looking at you in the picture and I'm like, oh, I'm not looking at the camera. She told me this. <laughs> oh. That's okay. <laughs> and this is probably why I don't post my videos because I know that I'm like, I, I take notes in what you say so that I can follow up with my questions. Then I'm right. not always looking at the camera, but that is something that I do listen to myself so I can improve. Hopefully I'm, I, I'm getting better. Who knows? Right? You are. <laughs> so, no, you're you. already great. I've oh, looked at some of your TV hits you. and I, you have a natural thank compelling you. personality and you're friendly and warm and that's yeah. the stuff that you can't teach. I got to tell you the eye contact thing is, I mean, I know that we're on audio and this is not a video podcast. <laughs> right. Nevertheless, I'm like staring right into the camera right. cause I'm just used to doing it. Cause you're However, used to doing it. Right. That's I have stickers. I've done it for 20 years. I have stickers where my camera is so I can look at the red stickers and I still I'm yeah. looking at you cuz oh so pretty you have flowers in the background and and then oh, I'm like so- oh I'm not looking at the camera again. That's okay. <laughs> you know it's funny. I just had a I had a call with a client yesterday and I'm like <laughs> this is an it's a hard thing because people oh. feel awkward looking into the camera especially if they have a video screen up above it and they know that you're down there because they can see like right. your face sort of, I mean, not clearly because it's in their peripheral, but they know you're there. Mm-hmm. It's so hard to train yourself yeah. to look into the lens. But I always tell people, whoever's on the other side mm-hmm. of that camera, they don't see any of that discomfort. Right. They don't know that you feel weird doing it. All they see is you looking at them in the eye. That's yeah. it. And when you don't take that opportunity to connect that mm-hmm. way, you're missing out. Outside of a smile, oh, great. hands down, eye contact is the best way to establish a rapport. And I'll give you a quick example. Okay. And I'll, I'll, I, I make a lot of analogies and I use a lot of stories. Well, I love analogies and stories. So you've come there to the right go. place <laughs> <laughs> In, for my news days, because that's what I understand. And I spent my career speaking to a camera. The, the look at the way your favorite anchor is framed mm-hmm. when they're delivering a, a, you know, a newscast from behind a desk, whether it's like your local folks, you know, Darlene Rodriguez and Mark <laughs> Gargiulo, I love you guys, or whether it is like Sean Hannity or Lester Holt or David Muir, whoever it is, when they are on a single tight shot, similar to the way that mm-hmm. we are when we're on Zoom or whatever platform it is, look at how closely they are framed. Right. And it is very intentional. Mm. The reason they're framed, meaning the reason they're taking up yep. the entire screen in that little video box that you find yourselves in is because it allows the audience to look into their eyes. Now I put that in air quotes mm. because obviously they're not actually looking of into your course. eyes. The anchor can't see you. <laughs> However, there's something that still goes on up here in our brains where when we can look into someone's eyes and they seem to be looking back at us, we feel 
that they're trustworthy. Mm -hmm. We feel that they have credibility and we start to gain rapport. Whereas if that anchor person were, you know, far away from Mm -hmm. the camera or the camera was zoomed out very wide and they appeared far away, we'd never get to look in their eyes and we'd miss a key opportunity to build that rapport. So if you're creating video, Mm -hmm. if you're doing interviews, if you're doing video podcasts, any of that stuff, make sure that whenever you're speaking, you're looking directly into the lens. I feel weird, I promise you, but you are doing it correctly. I love the advice. I I have shared something similar with clients when they're doing Instagram videos. And I tell them to start with, it's not saying, hey guys, how's my hair? (laughs) You know, but begin by just sharing how are you doing? Or use that word you so that you're connecting and speaking to that first person instead of making a blanket statement that may or may not hit anybody. Because ultimately when we are, and I'm a big proponent of personal brand, I'm a big proponent of your values are communicated to, especially when you're trying to work with an individual or a co- company or even in a, in a professional world, how you carry yourself really is, is so key. And, and you create that like, no, and trust factor. Absolutely. I was, mm-hmm. I always on the news, I would never say good morning, everyone. Right. Because somebody's at home in their bed or in their bathroom looking around and being like everyone, like everyone it's just like me people. here. <laughs> this person should be talking to me. Yeah. So you're right. Whatever you can avoid using words like that showcase that you're not talking to them individually right. using the word you. Mm. It's as simple as that. It's such a small change, but it's so effective in making whoever is watching you or listening to you feel like you're talking directly to them. I I love that. And that's a wonderful advice. I I have one more question because I know that um, for you, you wear multiple hats. Again, you're a business owner. You alluded that you had to jump in and learn a lot of different things and you're navigating it in such a graceful way. But when it's all said and done, And when, you know, we go through our lives and however long, you know, we're in this world, what would you like your legacy to be to your children, to other people that came in contact with you? That's such a good question. The first group of people that I immediately think of is is my family. It's my kids. Mm -hmm. I have three kids, uh, nine, six, and three. And uh, I think I want my legacy to them to be that their life is theirs to lead. Mm. I didn't have a very strong female figure in my life when I was growing up. And I made a lot of decisions based on that fear Mm -hmm. of not having that strength and that coupled with the bullying. And I think I would like my children to make their decisions based on a place of strength mm. and and not and not fear and I work every day and oh my god I make I make mistakes a lot of them every day hourly minute by minute where I'm not operating under that and I have to stop and take a step back and say mm. okay Carrie like, stand down you're beginning to wrap yourself around your axle because you're getting all worked up about these things that are not important and I think my ultimate goal for them is my, my boys and my girls is to let them know that wherever they are, whoever they are operating from a place of integrity and strength and confidence, Mm -hmm. even when we don't always feel that way, making decisions based on those three things are incredibly important. And, you know, their partner or spouse or whoever they end up spending their life with Mm -hmm. or multiple people that they end up spending their life with down the road. (laughs) I'd like them to never lose that sense of self-identity and internal validation for my clients. I get the most, I get the, I'm not exactly sure what the word is, but maybe satisfaction Mm -hmm. is the right word from working with people who realize that they have been closing the doors on themselves Mm. based on their own fears. 
and and understanding that you know, maybe you don't want to be an on-camera personality, but you can learn to speak effectively and you mm-hmm. don't have to close that door. Right. You don't have to close the door on confidently relaying your ideas or being able to give a great pitch or a mm-hmm. presentation. Those things are important across the board. Great. And when I'm able to take somebody from a place of fear to a place of boy, I'm still kind of nervous, but damn, I nailed that. Right. (laughs) The best feeling ever. And I think because operating from a place of fear has been such a through line in my life, I would love to be able to be remembered for helping people operate outside the boundaries of fear. I I could probably talk to you for hours. That is so (laughs) moving to me because I believe that all of us have a purpose and all of us have something that we could really go after and master and really stepping out of the fear and stepping out despite what we may be feeling is it's great and i i love that you know you're very like-minded to the people that i have at casa de confidence uh thank you for taking the time to be here i so appreciate you you're a superstar you're gonna come and speak to my group coaching group right to talk yes absolutely sign me up i can't wait from the girl who used to hate public speaking (laughs) (laughs) so yes please yeah they, they they uh they would love to have you they definitely you know and and i actually i spoke to our mutual friends scott today and uh, another great person but thank you so much for taking the time you are doing some amazing things in the world and impacting the lives of others to go out and step out in their their confidence and that speaks to my heart likewise julie it was an absolute pleasure to be here thank you so much for inviting me all right well carrie berry go out confidently and enjoy the weather because it's supposed to be a nice weekend i know i can't wait you do the same all right i'll talk to you soon talk to you soon bye-bye bye Thanks for joining us this week on the Casa de Confidence podcast with Julie DeLuca Collins. Remember to check her out on Instagram and Facebook and always click subscribe to catch every new episode. Remember, leave a review so we can continue to bring you fresh content. And as always, go confidently in the direction of your dreams. Hi, everybody. I know that sometimes we get very lonely in this entrepreneur journey, and I want to invite you to join us into our limited time only Purposeful You Mastermind. For many of us entrepreneurs, we believe that we can do it all, but the reality is that doing it alone only creates a lot of overwhelm. So join us at the Purposeful You Mastermind. You can find out more information by going to bit.ly forward slash Julie's Mastermind. This is going to be the place where you are able to then unlock your full potential and achieve long-term success for your business, push you behind your current limits, expand your connections, discover new ideas, and implement them with confidence. You're going to get the support in all aspects and transforming you to the six-figure business you've been looking for. Pause and get off the hamster wheel if you've been spinning around. This is a time where you can get that support from like-minded entrepreneurs that are here to join you in your journey. Together, we can challenge the assumptions and land the speaking engagements and opportunities we want to grow our business and make an impact in the lives of people. See you then. Remember, you can find the mastermind at bit.ly, Julie's Mastermind.